Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. I'm your host, Marty Bennett, and today on the Roundup, we're going to be taking a look at three important questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last several days. First up, what impact will the new STEM initiatives have on international student interest in the U.S.? Second, how are international undergraduates uh, that are applying to the United States, how are they viewing the U.S. right now? And third, is the Chinese Communist Party's crackdown on Western education backfiring? We'll take a look at these three questions and more on today's SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup for January 26, 2020. For those that are new to the Roundup, uh, we take the themes and the questions that we cover on Wednesday here during our live chat at 1 p.m. Eastern Time uh, on our Facebook page for SMIE Consulting. We take those from our newsletter that comes out on Mondays called All the SMIE News Fit to Share. In case you're wondering, SMIE stands for Social Media and International Education, two cornerstones of our company business. Uh, those, uh, that newsletter comes out Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern to your inbox free of charge. You can subscribe at smieconsulting.org slash subscribe. Or uh, if you want to check out this most recent edition, I'm dropping the link as well as our website link to the subscribe page in the comments section on the Facebook page. You'll certainly uh, welcome to check that out for this live event uh, on our Facebook page to get the links to the stories that we're going to be going more in depth to. So these new stories each week, really, we, we identify some themes on Monday that we want to cover more in depth on Wednesday during the, this live chat. And this week, uh, as with a lot of the, what we've been seeing over the last several years, we see a lot, uh, a lot of the topics we cover are, are frankly, COVID-related. Uh, the impact this pandemic, uh, this global pandemic, has had on how we do what we do and the impact it's had on our education systems, on our immigration systems, on our health care, on our just day-to-day -day lives uh, is something most people wouldn't have ever imagined would happen. Uh, to them uh, or to their to their day to day, but it has. Uh, the realities have uh, sunk in uh, to almost two years into this now, uh, but we're also seeing uh, a lot of what we're talking about here is done in light of, um, uh, as it turns relates to international education, is the impact that changed administrations have on on our on our future of our, our of our industry, international education here. And we've, uh, this current administration that was inaugurated just over a year ago now, just, yeah, just over a year ago, uh, they introduced when they first came into office a series of actions and executive orders and uh, proposed legislation that was going to basically do a complete 180 from uh, what we had experienced in the previous administration. So we, we saw the revoking of the, of the travel bans to uh, Muslim-majority countries. We saw uh, the Build Back Better Act that contained a number of protections for DREAMers and other proposals that would have made um, uh, F1, uh, uh, potentially dual intent, uh, those, it was all in an omnibus bill that was submitted, so it really didn't have a lot of chance of success on face value because, uh, and as we've seen this um, right before the new year, uh, we saw uh, the Build Back Better plan, plan or legislation uh, kind of die um, in the Senate. So, uh, so a lot of the, those elements are not yet law, and, but the, the, the 
certainly the starting point for that this administration was one that is uh, dramatically different from the previous administration. So uh, they are they added in in addition to that those moves in January. There were a series of other moves that ended the uh, potential removal of DS as a part of F1 student status. Uh, we saw um, H1B uh, not uh, re return to a lottery status and start in instead of by. Uh, by starting salary. Uh, we saw uh, a number of uh, pieces like uh, getting on board early for the 2021-22 academic year, making the exemption for um, online education for international students who are still in the United States uh, to continue. So we've seen a lot of positives. Then last summer we had the uh, renewed commitment to promote international education uh, in the United States uh, and the early signs of potentially a national strategy developing. Uh, we're, I don't think we're there yet uh, by any stretch, but certainly there continue to be uh, uh, moves by the administration to reflect an overall positive position related to international ed. And this most recent one that came out on Friday last week, I always wait till the last of the week to do these uh, kind of new bombshell kind of announcements, uh, the administration actions uh, to attract STEM talent and strengthen our economy and competitiveness. And this is... Uh, the way this is fact sheet is written out, it talks about why STEM, the STEM fields are so important and what uh, having people from abroad come into our country to contribute their talent has uh, led to path-breaking in innovations, uh, new creation of new jobs, new industries, new opportunities for Americans across the United States. Clear, clearly, uh, you t look no further than uh, the uh, origins, uh, nationalities of um, some of the top uh, Tech, uh, tech firms in the, in the United States, some of the top businesses in the world are led by internet, former international students. So our, this, this uh, statement is certainly, uh, and particularly related to STEM, uh, is reflecting uh, America's longstanding tradition of welcoming the best and brightest uh, to, and as recognizing it as a global competitive advantage. Uh, we, and the, the, the statement reflects the continued desire to be that have compete maintain that a competitive advantage. So there are three kind of major pieces that were um, of of the STEM STEM related issues that the this fact sheet addressed in terms of the, these new policies. First up was uh, the Department of State uh, Educational Cultural Affairs Bureau announcing uh, early career STEM research initiative, and the language here is to facilitate non-immigrant Bridge USA exchange visitors coming to the United States to engage in STEM research through research, training, or educational exchange visitor programs with host organizations, including businesses. And this new guidance will facilitate new academic, uh, additional academic training time, that's the equivalent of OPT for uh, J visas, uh, for undergraduate and graduate students in STEM fields up to, for up to 36 months. So that's encouraging news. Uh, you also have the addition of 22 new fields of study uh, to include um, a lot of uh, data analytics uh, majors that have developed and programs, uh, other biosciences and uh, other uh, environmental related uh, fields that are now part of the STEM uh, list of SIP codes that you can have uh, at your institution that are available for international students to attract uh, students who would looking, are looking to uh, have that um, have that, that additional work experience. The third piece of this uh, is related to the O-1 visa. That's the non-immigrant visa uh, for those with extraordinary ability, kind of redefining the criteria for what constitutes uh, 
extraordinary abilities. Um, and that could be someone who has a doctorate in a STEM field, uh, that type of thing. So uh, that would create a new category for them to be employed. Uh, you see uh, all, all the uh, other, other areas that uh, to increase the, uh, the ease by which national interest waivers can be used for those that are applying for permanent residency, uh, that, for the, that might be on H-1Bs looking to apply for permanent residency, those were advanced degrees, STEM fields, that type of thing. So encouraging words uh, from this and new policy initiatives uh, from the government uh, by administration. You see uh, NAFSA, uh, not surprisingly, throw their weight uh, behind this uh, push to expand uh, STEM uh, benefits uh, for international education in the United States. So certainly has a lot of uh, positives there. Uh, and the other thing you see is how well, the other perspective you want to take in is how well this is being uh, shown uh, in international news, uh, in uh, some of our key markets. Uh, and I could count between Friday afternoon and Monday morning, there were at least a dozen stories in, from different countries, sometimes some countries having multiple outlets covering this uh, news, to new effort to retain international science and tech students. This is the title of uh, Biden plans, new effort to retain international science and tech students. That's the headline in the Times of India. That came out on Friday, shortly after the, the, the uh, release came out from the administration. So one of the things, interestingly, always see how uh, these, there's some slight different tones in the way these are picked up or what's emphasized. And the end of the first paragraph in this story in India is, uh, as uh, this has all been introduced as part of this of the U.S. government's efforts to counter China, officials said. So it's uh, interesting to see, and India obviously is having its own issues with China, uh, certainly over their over their ed, over their ed, over their social media companies that are uh, have have their platforms available or banned now in India. Uh, so there's all there's certainly some. Uh, power, power struggles going on there between uh, the largest two countries in the world, uh, population-wise. So you certainly see uh, that emphasis is in this article is certainly uh, coming out uh, in this Indian article, reflecting why that's uh, such an issue. So we see uh, these steps, of course, that the Biden administration uh, put forth do not require uh, uh, do not require congressional action. Uh, because their legislative program, frankly, with the Build Back Better uh, for legal and illegal immigration, uh, addressing those issues has is stalled in Congress still. So there's uh, it's these new initiatives will make it easier for immigrants to argue that they qualify for special visas reserved for athletes, researchers, and other extraordinary abilities. That's the O1 category we're talking about. So this is uh, these are positive steps. So we all we we have to have to view these. From an international ed perspective, from a, a U.S. central perspective, this is positive news uh, for the United States and will play very well in many of our key markets overseas. So uh, that is certainly something I think will be a boon for us. But it's also up to um, up to us now. You have this uh, how we use this information and communicate it effectively to uh, international students. So obviously, if you have majors that have been recent that you've added to your to to campus over the last few years and they are now amongst these 22 new ones that have been added or if you just want to highlight your own stem majors on your campus and if you have a comp plan that is major specific 
you can and should be communicating this new noise, this news about very positive news about the expansion of STEM talent, STEM workability uh, to your prospective students. And that should be one of the key ingredients in your communication plan to prospective students overseas. When you're talking about something that your institution can help these prospective students achieve during their time at your institution, get them prepared for the, their, their jobs after their degrees are done. Having this three years of potential work permission for STEM eligible majors is a game changer. No other country is doing this length of time right out the gate for a STEM degree. Uh, Britain does two years max. Uh, Canada does a year at a time max. But there's, uh, in terms of uh, the Australia's, I think, bumping it up to two years. But you're, you're seeing... Uh, our, uh, our competitive advantage, this is something since 2008, since it was allowed the three years, it was bumped up from, I think, 25 months to, 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 to 36. You now have uh, a real competitive advantage that you can and should be using, not just to talk up your own institution, um, but to talk about the value of the United States. Because one of the things I always talk about is you have to keep in mind that your prospective students are not only applying to you and other U.S. institutions, they are complying to other institutions in other countries. And other countries do a much better job in terms of promoting their own policies, and we do a terrible job of it in the United States. Uh, so it's really down to you as an institution when you have someone on the line that is interested in your school and you're talking about why they should come choose your institution. You're talking about not just why they should choose your institution, why they should choose the United States. That needs to be a part of your com communication plan. And these are the kinds of things that when you have these new stories that come out, you should be capitalizing on them and including them in your communication with your future students to show that, hey, it's not just us as an institution that knows that you're valuable. Our country values you as well. And that, that's added value that you, don't, that you want to be highlighting every opportunity you get. So that's, that's what we have for the first question. Second question of the day, how are international undergraduate applicants viewing the United States right now? And we have these, these similar debates every year. Uh, we certainly have seen uh, the United States since the mid-2000s kind of ride a wave of Chinese undergraduates that expanded uh, dramatically from mid-2004 or 5 to 2015, 16. There was a 10-year, 12-year stretch where the numbers just never seemed to stop uh, coming from China. Uh, we saw uh, back in the 90s when I started in this, in this business, Chinese undergraduates were very rare on campus. There were hardly any. Uh, the focus was really for Chinese students looking to come to the U.S. was for graduate programs. And what has happened, those, those people that, from China that came in the 90s and, uh, or 80s and 90s uh, returned home, started their own families. Uh, their sons and daughters uh, came of age and were looking to, to go abroad as well, but they were looking much earlier. Uh, you saw the Chinese market get much much more eager to pursue undergraduate admissions uh, for their sons and daughters, uh, get them a jump start on the job market and preparing uh, perhaps more broadly for employment back home or elsewhere. Uh, then you also saw after that initial wave of undergraduates uh, from China came, you saw a real expansion in uh, Chinese students coming for high school, um, boarding school programs. Um, and that, that, that wave is, is kind of coming and, and has peaked as well. Uh, so we're seeing now, uh, at this point in time, in the, over the last two years, obviously with the pandemic and uh, previous administration's conflicts with China, this administration still has 
conflicts, rightly so, with China on certain issues. You see, frankly, a very, uh, very, very much a disconnect going on with uh, the Chinese audience uh, that have uh, that have got undergone a lot of uh, changes, uh, obviously, over the last two years with the pandemic and China's policy of zero cases, zero COVID cases, and the extremes to which they still lock down whole entire cities as a result when there are out, um, even minor outbreaks of COVID. The policy, frankly, in, in our and in certainly U.S. eyes is is uh, not sustainable. And certainly two years into something to hear that all cities are still getting locked down and right now are still locked down as a result of in China, as a result of outbreaks, um, that containment strategy clearly hasn't worked. Even countries that had handled COVID very well through the first uh, year, year and a half of the pandemic, I've really struggled with Omicron because it's a much more highly contagious variant and it has uh, greater transmission rates and even though lower impacts on, on health for, for the vaccinated. You see a country like China, <coughs> excuse me, where there are, they've already inoculated 1.3 billion people. They're basically their entire population that's eligible for vaccines has had them. And even probably some kids that maybe not eligible for vaccines, at least in U.S. terms, might have already gotten them as well. So you see that country, they're, they're all vaccinated, uh, yet they're still having COVID cases, popping up Omicron cases that are just tearing through some communities. Uh, even though they have had some of the strictest border controls, uh, they're about to host the Winter Olympics uh, in a couple weeks. So we're, we're really seeing some interesting developments here. But uh, one of the factors when we, we, we look at each year, um, particularly recently uh, in terms of international student interests, is, is looking at Common App numbers. And Common App uh, tracks and uh, the number of international applicants uh, that they have seen in the last two years, the number of international applicants has increased at nearly triple the rate of domestic applicants since uh, the 2019-2020 year, 33% up in international since that time versus 12% for domestic. So the number of top five countries from where uh, those students are coming, uh, China, India, Canada, Nigeria, and South Korea with a leading five. Interesting to see Nigeria on this list. Um, that uh, undergraduates from Nigeria are, are, are really uh, starting to consider uh, the United States more strongly than they perhaps ever had before. So we're really encouraged to see those numbers. And this is all in light of the numbers from China continuing to drop. Uh, we've seen uh, pre-pandemic uh, 21,231 uh, applicants from China. We're using the Common App in uh, the 1919-20 uh, academic year. Then this, this fall, uh, only 17,495 uh, were using it. So down over four th almost 4,000 in two years from China. Uh, and that's a, a marginal drop from last year, I think less than 400 uh, applicants fewer from China this year than last year. And that's, that's saying something that I think is a good sign for international undergraduate recruitment. I think the, uh, you're seeing a, more, a greater diversity of uh, countries uh, in that top five uh, is, is promising to, uh, to, to see that it's not, uh, though China is still by, by, by and large the number one, 
seeing more Indian undergraduates, seeing Canadian Canadians, we uh, we probably would have already expected to be high on that list. South Korea has already been always been high uh, in the U.S. terms, but uh, Nigeria is certainly a, an interesting surprise, a pleasant one, on the Common App top five for international applicants for undergraduate admissions. So, and that's and to have the number of international applicants applications basically tr uh, increasing by more than a third in the last two years, and even with a decrease of uh, Chinese applicants uh, as significant as it was, means that there's a greater diversity of, uh, of applicants, uh, an increasing diversity of applicants and number uh, from a greater variety of countries that are applying as undergraduates to the United States using the Common App. So that's encouraging news. So I think the, um, the, 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 there's more, there's certainly more positives coming out of this story, even though the focus is on China and it always tends to be that way because they're the big 800-pound uh, gorilla in the room when it comes to uh, numbers. Uh, so that's certainly something we, we certainly see uh, and understand why it gets included. But the, the, the kind of the, the um, bearing the lead is that really the uh, number of international applicants has increased uh, by a third in two years. Uh, with a greater, despite the Chinese drops, uh, to have that kind of significant increase is positive for the United States for international undergraduate recruitment. And w one of the other reasons I think you're seeing that is over the last two years, we've seen uh, U.S. institutions that traditionally were road warriors uh, or hadn't really uh, invested in digital recruitment forcing to being forced to go that route uh, to attract international students and to have conversations with students from abroad. Uh, you've, you've seen them have to embrace a digital strategy, virtual fairs, and all of these things. And what you'll hear from the greater majority of uh, reps that I've talked to is that they are getting in front of a broader audience than they ever would have before if they had just traveled. Uh, they are getting to have uh, different kind of conversations than they do in in-person meetings, but it, it, those are the starting points for what become uh, conversations that lead to applicants, that lead to uh, enrolled students. And that, those are the positives, I think, that, um, that we, we will continue to see uh, in the coming, uh, coming months and years ahead. Uh, so undergraduate admissions for international students, I think, is, uh, is, is, is certainly on an upward tick, and you're seeing a greater range of countries that are getting into the mix, and certainly some, some ones in volume that uh, perhaps you wouldn't expect uh, are now uh, making, them, making their voices heard. So good to see those kinds of, kind of news stories. Now our final question of the day. Uh, is the CCP, Chinese Communist Party's crackdown on Western education backfiring on the government? Uh, that's a question that I think it's a little bit counterintuitive uh, when you think about what's happened uh, in, in politics between the United States and China. Uh, and you, China and a lot of Western nations uh, seem to have their, had their issues with everybody from the UK to Canada to Australia, New Zealand, uh, and certainly the United States and other countries uh, over the past two to three years, even longer, six years. Uh, you've seen China growing increasingly under President Xi Jinping, uh, have become increasingly uh, interested. It's kind of a dual-edged sword. They're kind of increasingly isolationist in terms of their policies. We certainly saw that this past year uh, with the double reduction policies that were introduced last summer and the impacts that has had on the um, ed tech space uh, in China, uh, particularly those that are involved in tutoring. 
Uh, we've got the new Oriental story that we uh, broke a few months ago. Uh, you now see the, uh, the actual details of that. Uh, new Oriental, largest international ed tech uh, company in China, uh, laid off 60,000 people uh, this past year as a result of the government policy crackdown. So the numbers are, are pretty stark. Uh, they, and uh, why the government policy crackdown, what are we, what are we actually talking about here? Uh, this is, it, it, it basically ended all its online and in-person K through nine tutoring services. Uh, it had been affected by the pandemic and China's crackdown on tutoring companies. Uh, this was the, what the, what the Con Chinese Communist Party introduced in July 2021 was something called a double reduction policy, which included a ban on for-profit tutoring of school subjects for children and almost instantly wiped out a $100 billion industry. Uh, so this is uh, some, some of these, uh, for example, I've, I've mentioned in the past, uh, my wife uh, has been teaching uh, English to students uh, in China for uh, for three years up until this summer, uh, when this policy was introduced, uh, it basically prevented after a certain point uh, any of her students uh, from using this service because she is based outside of China uh, as a as a as a Western influence. So that um, that the. the um, uh, this is this is something that has uh, had long-standing impacts uh, in the industry. Obviously, New Oriental is kind of the biggest fish uh, to be impacted by this. And uh, if you look at their uh, the report here, uh, indicates that May of 2021, uh, New Oriental had 88,000 full-time employees and 17,000 contract teachers and staff. Uh, now uh, it has uh, around 50,000 staff. Altogether, so uh, you see where those 38,000 full-time employees and 17,000 contract teachers and staff uh, basically disappeared. Uh, th their jobs have disappeared. So you you see uh, you see impacts obviously with the, in the ed tech space in, ch in in China, but you also see it uh, in the schools. Uh, you have uh, part of the other double reduction impact is that a number of International schools in China are forcing to close, uh, or have been forced to close. Uh, so you have these parents um, in middle to upper classes in, in China that have uh, you seen these international schools as an early uh, sending their kids to these international schools to uh, to give their son or daughter a leg up for inst for university admissions. Uh, that uh, you see now. Chinese families that uh, were, are, they're now torn between the risks of moving overseas and ensuring a Western education for their children. Uh, that, uh, that is something that, you, and one of the highlights of this South China Morning Post uh, article, uh, is that there are companies now that are, that help people emigrate from China, say business is booming. And this is in, in mainland China as well as Hong Kong, you see with Impact of uh, China's uh, mainland China's policies on Hong Kong are also very much anti-Western, and the forced removal of uh, Tiananmen Square monuments from uh, Hong Kong universities over the past uh, month or two uh, are clear indicators of what the, what the Chinese Communist Party wants uh, for for its citizens. So we see a lot of challenges coming uh, in China in, that are in, are internally driven. We've talked in the past about how 
uh, like I said, the, the dichotomy of Chinese policy or double-edged sword of Chinese policy, you've had them becoming increasingly isolationist, increasingly anti-Western in terms of their policies. You also see the flip side of that in terms of them being more expansionist with what they've done with the Belt and Road Initiative uh, and trying to expand their soft power influence as a country uh, throughout uh, the developing world. And this is something that um, they've invested hundreds of billions of, of dollars in uh, or uh, trillions of RMB and uh, to, uh, to 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 curry favor uh, in countries and, and secure influence for the CCP uh, in soft power initiatives. So that's going to continue. Uh, we see a lot of what's happened recently, uh, particularly in the last year, that has uh, really kind of uh, trying to put the genie back in the bottle, frankly, um, when it comes to Western things, Western education especially. Uh, you see the parents uh, of, 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 of their son, parents are, are, are still wanting that Western education and are willing to move, to leave, uh, leave, uh, leave China altogether, and to secure other nationalities' passports. Uh, one, of the, one of the interesting... Uh, interesting uh, lines in this uh, South China Morning Post article about Chinese parents still wanting that Western education, the lengths to which they're willing to go, is there is a Shenzhen-based company that helps Chinese people obtain Malta citizenship, that uh, their business is up 20% in the past two months. Most of the clients are parents who are anxious about the new education policy and the impact and the restrictions that's going to put on their son or daughter's chances of getting a Western education. So there's certainly a market in China, and I certainly think uh, when I say genie, trying to put the genie back in the bottle, that's something that I, I think certainly didn't work uh, in uh, in the cold during the Cold War, uh, Radio Free Europe, and all of that in terms of uh, Western ideas getting into the the heads of people. And that, that impact is uh, a, a wave you can't hold back, uh, develops. Uh, and I think that's what's happened in China. Uh, they promoted Western education uh, to, or let Western education be promoted for so long. Uh, capitalist societies, uh, their economy has been certainly booming, uh, controlled economy, planned economy. But now you're, you're seeing uh, challenges again now, uh, economic issues, down, slow t slowdowns, that type of thing. And um, the Chinese government's looking for solutions. So uh, its decision making uh, during the pandemic, and certainly uh, as it's become become increasingly clear that they're trying to de-westernize, uh, is having an impact. And uh, we'll see longer term whether that's uh, going to be a positive one for their country or, or a negative one for the government, because so many of their the top top people are leaving, um, are looking to still provide for their sons or daughters uh, in ways that uh, weren't going to be allowed uh, moving forward by the government. So we'll see what, what the longer-term implications are, but certainly uh, China is, is, is certainly has its issues right now, uh, and um, de-westernizing is probably one that they probably weren't expecting to have as significant of uh, backlash against. So we'll see what happens. But that's all we have for the midweek roundup this week. I uh, appreciate you joining us again, and we look forward to chatting with you in the weeks and months to come. Have a great day.